Hi there, this is Structured Rambling, a podcast about literature, ideas in literature, the texts, the themes, the virtues and beyond. My name is Paul, I'm a reader, a writer, a teacher, a fan, and a pig owner. Hello faithful podcast listeners, or even unfaithful podcast listeners, because <laughs> today we're talking about religion, we are going to church we are going to talk about the complexities of showing religion or religious characterization in literature and how there seems to be only two ways to do it. And talking about ways it is done, criticizing ways it is done, and things like that. Again, on the uh, Structured Rambling podcast, this is more of a rambling episode where I step lightly through many different realms of literature. You are more than welcome to comment. Uh, it's uh, structuredrambling at gmail.com. You can also follow me on the Instagram. Uh, sometimes I'm on the other ones too, but uh, eh, to varying degrees of, of reliability. Email, easiest way to get a hold of me. Anyways, so religion. Religion, eh, religion is a hard thing to fathom if you don't have one. In fairness, it's also a hard thing to let yourself analyze if you do have one. To doubt something, to assess it, to completely see where we ourselves fit in it, and then wholly accept it it, more honestly and truly than ever before, or once seeing it as unapplicable to one's life to reject it, these are hard things to do, and most people avoid them. Religion scares most people, both the faithful and the unfaithful. In our ultra-binary world, where far too many live by a creed that they who don't think what I think are my enemies, it is easy to forget that there are those who take a stance but often don't think about what they are taking a stance on. Take your average political opinion. Yes, that's right, I'm going to talk about politics briefly, and then talk about religion. I'm not talking about sex, so I won't be completely kicked out of any party I go to, but take your average, like I said, political opinion. Stop and ask someone on the street what their view is on climate change, or war, or race, and what the government's role should be in these things. Sadly, I can guarantee that you will meet people who have an opinion first and then seek data second. They want to believe something, so they only look for data that supports their beliefs. None that rejects it, and absolutely nothing that makes them think. I myself respect religion for the most part. I respect it. I was born and baptized as a Roman Catholic, though it didn't stick with me. For me, it was easy to examine the faith I was given. It had been handed to me. It was not a faith I had decided on or embraced myself, and I was able to see that it wasn't for me. It's not that I was forced into it either. It was more a tradition. I don't need to go into the details, but Christianity has never been for me. No organized religion really has been for me. There are aspects of all of them that I think is nice, but it's usually in the ritualistic, meditationistic aspects of of all religions. All faiths have that in some way. However, 
I consider myself maybe more of an agnostic than an atheist. I respect most faiths when they are not being intrusive or exclusive. But unfortunately, no faith I know of is not one, the other, or both. As, uh, as Constant Leadbelly declares in Anna Marie MacDonald's Goodnight Desdemona, Good Morning Juliet, I'm a fallen Catholic, and it's left me with a streak of whodunit. This sums up for me the non-religious person's desire for something, and yet I have a dissatisfaction with how faith is often depicted in literature or on film. I deeply enjoy historical fiction, as I said last time when I was talking about I, Claudius, and I will return to historical fiction. Many of my favorite novels of that particular genre, which are going to appear on this podcast at some point, the ones that are going to be more literary than fluff anyways, are set in Viking-era Scandinavia or the European Middle Ages. An issue of these times is the writers impose our their own modern sensibilities on a past of a thousand years ago or more in our in our post-christian secular times the intense hold the church had over the world a thousand years ago is treated with severe cynicism bernard cornwell possibly the greatest living historical writer and and my favorite uh, the the gentleman behind the sharp books famously but of course the utrid of bebenberg books the the last kingdom uh, tv so, show is based on his, this series and it's my favorite of his he and his peers are always depicting churchmen and bishops as corrupt or lecherous or manipulative uh, ken follett uh, the the pillars of the earth guy uh, a lot of his are just despicable churchmen. This is due as the church grew so abusive of its power that kings and archbishops often warred over the minds and hearts and sometimes physical bodies of the people. This corruption is what summoned Martin Luther uh, to hammer his treatise up on a church door in Germany. But it's almost become a cliche that every Christian cleric in modern historical fiction is also a snake. Christianity has a lot to answer for, don't get me wrong, especially in its telling of history and its telling of its effects on history, but not to the point where there's a complete erasure of truth. When a religious character appears in a secular fiction or a fiction written by a more secular writer, they generally appear as either naive or evil. The other characters around him are wise, more worldly. His naivete is his weakness. He will either get his comeuppance if he's evil or be defeated uh, or be made a fool and rise above his faith and do something moral rather than faithful if he's of the naive type. It is a very short list we're supposed to sympathize with. What characters are allowed to keep their faith until the end is very small. Um, it's usually the monks who also swear and drink, the, the uh, Friar Tucks or the Father Puligs from, uh, from the Bernard Cornwell books. I've spoken before about my very favorite novel, Dune. Frank Herbert's masterpiece has a very strong element of faith in it. There's a tantalizing few references to something called the Orange Catholic Bible, but most significantly, it's shown in the Fremen of Arrakis. Um, they're superstitious, they're uh, zealous. A lot of what they are is just a thinly copied version of Islam. 
their language and customs smack of the Arabs. And Paul worries that his powers, once he gets them, will lead to a jihad. And, spoiler, his powers do lead to a jihad. When I did my podcast on Dune, I talked about it being my favorite novel because it it has everything of what it means to be a human being in it. It's just all encapsulating. And, And that includes religion. But Herbert paints an honest picture of religion as through the Bene Gesserit, a means of control of being the power behind the throne. It's not hard to see the Reverend Mother could easily be a Catholic bishop or archbishop. The Fremen are wide-eyed, superstitious fundamentalists, uneducated and strongly faithful and easy to lead down a path once they encounter miracle. Capturing their attention turns them into this reckless, zealot superforce. Paul himself becomes a messianic figure. Even experience a process of drinking the, the, the holy water, if you will, that should be fatal. But eventually sees him die, basically, and resurrect doubly and dangerously more powerful as Muad'Dib, the Kwisatz Haderach. The book is packed with prophecy, and Paul fears causing the jihad that will be carried out in his name. Herbert understood religion. He saw its power, he saw its wonder, and he saw its dangers. In other books I've talked about already on the podcast, for example, like Jan Martel's Life of Pi, or say in Salman Rushdie's Midnight's Children, we encounter protagonists of faith and of extreme faith, but perhaps the reader is more accepting of it because these two practice Eastern faiths or because neither is totally true to his faith. They're variants, they're doubters. Pai is a good Hindu, but he's also a good Catholic and a good Muslim, and so by definition, not a good one of any of them. And yet, Pai is a better example of a theist in literature than most mono-worshippers are. And as for Rushdie's Salim Sinai, He's a telepathic Muslim minority in a Hindu majority with a giant cucumber nose and some pretty severe perversions, including voyeurism. I I should explain, but I'm not going to. Read the books, folks. Now, I don't want this to come off as a religious apology. When I read books like The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood, I get pretty afraid of what uncontrolled fundamentalism looks like. Um, it makes me think of the Westboro Baptist Church and what it could mean in our world. I read Educated by Tara Westover and wondered just how many folks out there are burying weapons in the yard, hoarding gasoline, pumping out babies that they won't send to school or vaccinate, fashioning hats out of tinfoil, being ready for an apocalypse through a poor interpretation of the Old Testament. Fiction? Truth? There, but for the grace of common sense, go us. But when it's not in the reader's face, does it make you uncomfortable to know your character is faithful? It seems that to have any credibility depicting a Christian protagonist, every writer must throw in a passage where the protagonist has his doubts, or never really thought about it before, or doesn't take every word of it so seriously. Good Christian protagonists only work when plagued with doubt. 
I'm not saying we need to return to old-fashioned good Christian protagonists, cowboys with white hats and all that. We never really had them because those old-fashioned heroes were still hypocrites to their faith. They were killers. They were fornicators. They were racists. They were pure Anglo-Saxon Protestants. But what I'm wondering is why, when a hero is religious in mainstream fiction, that is, in non-Christian bookshop fiction, he has to be a bad Christian. Why are we afraid to write the paladin, the knight in shining white armor with a pure heart, the Lancelot, even if he ends up sleeping with the boss's wife? In Tolkien's Middle-earth, anyone who has never read the Silmarillion will think this is a fantasy realm without gods. If you do read the Silmarillion, you will see his gods are everywhere and discover that this is a fantasy tale built on Christian, in fact, decidedly Catholic values. With a sprinkling in of old Anglo-Saxon, Tolkien is like the actual writer of Beowulf. God is good. God is wonderful. God's just awesome and everything. But check out this cool Viking who fights monsters. Gandalf is essentially an archangel. He is sent by the gods to come to the world to sort of nudge good into happening. He doesn't go to the mountain and kill the dragon himself. He doesn't straight up hunt down the dark riders. He nudges. He leads the heroes. He points the way. He's there for advice. There's a free will thing going on here. At least he starts as an archangel. Saruman is, of course, the fallen angel Lucifer. As Gandalf gains prominence in the story in The Lord of the Rings, he becomes less a guide and more, well, a straight-up Christ figure. Gandalf is a cross, pun intended, between Jesus and Odin. And the Odin we have himself has some big helpings of Mary's boy in him. See, what we know about the Norse myths and gods is only a portion of what existed. Unlike the Greeks... Anything we know about the Norse comes after the pagan faith had encountered Christianity and been influenced by it. It's Norse myth is a nature faith, and like most pagan faiths, is more like a superstition and a set of narratives than a true religion, quote-unquote. One reason Christianity eliminated all of them and all that came before is it took itself so seriously and judged everything else so harshly. It didn't play well with others. What were Thor, Zeus, and Osiris to do in the face of this kind of destructive uh, erasure? The Norse had Odin, who often traveled around as an old man with a broad-brimmed hat. Okay, that's where the you see where Gandalf is based on him. They had him hang himself to death from a tree, sacrificing himself to the god of death. A nice little loophole is he is the god of death, so he sacrificed himself to himself and was able to rise again, armed with the knowledge of death and the afterlife. Did Odin 2.0 dress in white? Maybe. Gandalf, Odin, Jesus, walks around sharing wisdom, dies... In the latter two cases, on a tall piece of wood, sacrificing himself to himself and comes back better than ever. Dumbledore's coming back. This is how we know. I'm not saying we need more religion in our fiction. Or more religious characters in our fiction. I'm one of those people who think our society's movement to the more secular is a good thing. Religion has had its day, though it's still strong in the more fundamental corners of our world. But I think we do need more truth. 
Why is the wisest character always the atheist or doubter, especially in a setting like the Middle Ages where everyone was pretty wild-eyed? I don't read a book that is written for the purpose of being Christian literature, but in real fiction, I don't need every Christian character to be a doofus. Captain America should be a Christian. He grew up in the U.S. during the Depression almost a 100 years ago. Straight up, purebred, Anglo-Saxon Protestant. It doesn't make him less. It makes him believable. That's what I would like to see depicted in our fiction. Anyways... So goes my podcast on the faith in literature. Just a couple quick updates for those of you who like that sort of thing. Foist off uh, some stuff that's coming down the pipe. I am working on a couple of literature podcasts um, as we near the end of October in southern Alberta, where it has been a lovely fall, but now October's turned on itself and it wants to be one of those wintry ones, alas and alack. Um, I'd like to do, uh, something Halloween-y. Uh, I am hoping to get the time. I've had a request from a friend I respect a lot to, uh, to analyze Frankenstein. Um, but only if I can do a good job of it in the time I've got. I'm also, uh, I'm looking at, uh, the Fellowship of the Ring. As promised, I'm going to go through the major texts in the Tolkien Legendarium. I've already done The Hobbit. You can find it in one of my back episodes in the back catalog. A war novel is due around Remembrance Day, I think. I'm going to do uh, 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 All Quiet on the Western Front, uh, probably the greatest greatest depiction of World War One we have in literature. Uh, great in, in uh, heavily ironic terms. And uh, what else? I am... Uh, yeah, those are some of the texts I'm looking at. I am working on some ideas... Uh, I want to walk through the Tarantino world of film. Uh, probably going to do kind of an all-encapsulating one. Yeah. The Dark Knight uh, by Frank Miller. The Dark Knight Returns, I guess it's called. Had some requests for that. So these are things I'm thinking about. But if there's something you'd like to see me do, um, topic, a, a structured episode on a novel, or a rambling episode on a topic within novels, uh, or film, or or even something else. I was thinking about doing something on, on music, uh, genres and periods of music. But anyways, and finally, um, myself and a colleague of mine, who is one of the tri-hosts of a very fun little podcast called The Lingaholics, uh, about uh, language acquisition and being a multilinguist. These are just these are the next stage in evolution. These people, they are, they are far, far brighter and, uh, uh, more dedicated humans to what they do than I am. And so I, uh, I am hoping to steal, uh, my friend Ian, who, uh, is one of the hosts of that show and talk about the art of translation, um, learning other languages, translating other languages, how it affects literature, how it uh, changes literature and how it reveals culture and people. Um, we are, we are so much who we are through our language. So uh, looking forward to that. So that's some stuff that's coming down the pipe here as we roll down 2020, uh, the year of our plague. And uh, I hope you are staying safe, having fun, enjoying a good book every now and then. And I will talk to you in the future.